Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of August 9th, 2022, and officially episode number 525, and this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com, and it has been a weird Newsweek. We've got uh, all sorts of weird things happening. And some stuff, it's like deja vu all over again. It's happening for the third or fourth time this year. Weird stuff everywhere. But uh, I guess you'll have that when you're hitting the end of the year, when you're hitting August. Um, and we we're just talking off the air. The weather is changing. Um, you know, people still dealing with wildfires and heat. Um we're all talking about the earth warming up and everything else coming to an end and all those things. But not too long from now, it'll be cool. It'll be chilly out. Uh, we'll have our campfires going. And uh, fall will be upon us in the not-too-distant future. I usually don't like fall, but uh, it's, been a, it's been a hot year. And I haven't had much time to do too much outside. So I'm not really missing out, I don't feel, this year. But... We shall see. It's uh, always a fun thing to uh, see the seasons change. And supposedly, it should be a decent fall, at least where I'm at here in Northeast Ohio. But we shall see. Um, what is going on? Cops' conventions, well, it's ramping up. It is, like I said, August. First, well... First full week of August is now over, so we're headed into the middle of August. And, of course, the paranormal is October. It's all about October. So once October hit, it's it's uh, not just conferences, conventions, but it's going to be everything that is uh, in full swing. People want to hear from us. The normal people out there that are not involved in the paranormal want to hear from all of us. Uh, so we'll be popular for a month or so. And then uh, they'll tell us to go away. So if you have any information about any conference or convention, let me know. Insider at paranewsinsider.com. It's kind of late in the year, um, but I'm still add, I've still added a few in the last couple of weeks. Uh, it seems like stuff is just popping up out of nowhere, and I'll throw it on my list. Um, kind of working in the background, trying to get <laughs> – Get into the chat room. I'm having a heck of a time with this computer. But as long as the show is on, the show is on. Trying to get into the chat room. And hopefully, you're trying to get in the chat room or you're in the chat room. And uh, I like to feed off the chat room. But right now, I just feel like I'm uh, talking to myself. Uh, but we'll, we'll launch. We'll get into cryptid news for this week. Some exciting news. I'm always excited when I get to hear about uh, certain animals. Certain animals, when mentioned in the news, I, I perk up and I get all excited and, and I stop what I'm doing, even if I'm at work and I, I want to run into a corner and read about it. And uh, this story got me really excited. And we've talked about it earlier in the year in April. 
of this year. We talked about a scientific paper on the possible discovery of the existence of the ivory-billed woodpecker in Louisiana. The study was the culmination of a three-year study where every member of that study that was out in the field was said to have had an encounter with the large black and white woodpecker, the largest woodpecker of North America, of course. Uh, the woodpecker, the uh, plated woodpecker is very close, very similar to it. A lot of people who don't really know the difference uh, frequently see the plated woodpecker and misidentify it as the ivory build. But the ivory build is the target of a lot of scientists. It's funny, though. It seems like most of them are retired uh, I, I don't think the academic institutions really care about the ivory build anymore because of its status. Uh, the government doesn't really seem to care anymore. So I think a lot of people have now moved on. Uh, but there's a very small, very hardcore group of people that are still trying to find this bird. And it seems like a lot of people are having encounters, uh, whether or not that's true, uh, misidentification, hopeful uh, luck, we don't really know, but uh, there seems to be a lot of video and photo evidence creeping out of the uh, the backwaters there of different states. And uh, Louisiana would probably be one of the uh, the biggest places for the rediscovery of the ivory bill due to the fact that there's so many places that are hard to get to. Old growth forests, which is what the ivory bill needs to survive. And uh, swampland, so it makes it hard for us to get out there, for us to uh, get around, and therefore harder to capture evidence of this bird. Uh, but I think that's the point. Uh, we've hunted them to pretty much extinction, if not extinction, pretty darn close. And uh, they're very skittish around people. I don't know for that reason. I don't know if we've taught them to not trust us or or what the, the deal is, but it's very difficult for people to get anywhere near these things. And despite the descriptions of the wonderful encounters, the evidence from back in April gathered in the form of photographs and videos, uh, it was really, really lackluster. I, I watched their video, their presentation on the evidence. It wasn't great. Um, I, I mean, I watched Bigfoot videos all day. Uh, UFO videos, ghost things, uh, this looked no different. It was just blurry, uh, out of focus, uh, really bad frame rates, uh, just really, it was really sad because this is something that people are very passionate about and um, matter of factish about what they're seeing, what they said they saw, they were there. They described this bird, but unfortunately that experience does not translate through their evidence that they're showing. And it's, uh, it's gotta be heartbreaking to, to go out there and do that. And then to show it to the world and everyone's just like, I, I don't see what you're seeing. It looks like a, it could be anything. It could be a magpie, it could be a pigeon for all I know. And you're telling me, you're trying to convince me that's one of the rarest birds in the world. Um, so that one came and went and, uh, really have not heard much, in the way of any kind of sway in how the government feels about the ivory-billed woodpecker. So what's the status, you might wonder? Uh, in September of 2021, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced 
that it would be officially declaring the ivory-billed woodpecker as extinct uh, as while it had been listed as critically endangered and thought extinct, there had been no solid evidence to suggest the animal has survived um, after being hunted and, and, like I said, having its old growth forests and swamplands eliminated. And you, you could go back to the uh, the last, um, see the last known. I guess the last universally agreed upon sighting was back in 1944. I was in the height of the 30s where these were seen, and um, unfortunately, by then it was just too late. They were just dying off so fast. Uh, 1944, Louisiana, in an area known as the Singer Track, uh, which was owned by the Singer Sewing Corporation, uh, which had allowed heavy logging companies to decimate the area. So if you want to blame anybody, uh, don't buy a Singer sewing machine because that company uh, pretty much helped the extinction of the uh, the ivory-billed woodpecker. It's kind of weird. You never think a sewing company would be responsible for that. But it, yeah, the Singer tract was the last holdout for uh, what scientists felt was the uh, the, the last great domain for the uh, ivory-bills to, to live. And they need a large area large expanse, a lot of area to move around in. And unfortunately, um, just didn't work out. And uh, now we're talking about them, hopefully, being rediscovered, but we don't know. We'll see. Uh, in 1967, uh, the bird was listed as an endangered species. Uh, nobody had seen it. Again, it had been 20... 23 years at that point, nobody had really described it in the wild. Uh, in 2019, after a five-year review, it was announced that the woodpecker would be moved from endangered to extinct, and uh, people lost their minds. A lot of people were upset about this. Uh, I was sad because it's, uh, you know, it's it's one of those creatures that we have here. You could talk about the the thylacine or the Tasmanian tiger in Australia as, as being a, a very similar creature. It's one that we people are seeing, they're reporting, and they're hopeful uh, that it does exist. However, uh, the evidence gathered just is not enough to support the scientific arena to accept it. Uh, no matter how many people claim they see stuff, that's not how science works. Unfortunately, you have to have solid, solid evidence. And uh, so far, we just don't have enough. Um, now, there has, there is a precedent for photographs bringing animals out of extinction. Uh, some birds have been photographed, uh, but very close up and very detailed. Um, not like this, where you're seeing a, a bird flying through swampland, and again, you can circle it, you can draw letters, you can draw arrows, and show other pictures of other birds, and claim that we're looking at is it definitely a. Uh, ivory build versus another kind of similar bird but again to me it, it could be a pigeon for i mean I, i'm not seeing what you're seeing it's it's i wasn't there so i don't know but your description doesn't match what i'm looking at so granted it doesn't help when people post these these videos on youtube because it uh, compresses it uh there was even problems with the u.s fish and wildlife service uploading 
different pieces of evidence and compressing it into nothing so people could really pick out any details. Um, so back to the endangered species list and then uh, listed for extinction. Uh, it keeps surviving the deadline. So 2019, it was said it was it was going to be listed. Uh, it was going to be uh, then February of 2022. Uh, there was a public hearing in late January. And so the deadline lingered, hadn't really heard anything. And, and now, as of July, um, it's six more months. It's, it feels like the uh, they just keep moving the stay of execution for this bird. Uh, but hopefully these uh, random sightings are enough to continue the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and other organizations to uh, kind of uh, stay that um, or keep that stay of execution, the, the handle from being pulled and cutting the head off of this bird for forever. I mean, part of me almost wants it to just be declared extinct and then we find it and have to overturn. I think it would be really cool and it would set a big precedent for a lot of these creatures that people see that uh, maybe aren't as on the fantastic scale as let's say mothman or you know these creatures that are are one-off things that uh, don't exist in nature but you know a little bit closer to home to even creatures like bigfoot uh, which may have the possibility of of existing but um it's not looking good for this bird, though. So the latest find, or the latest uh, batch of information posted is from Bobby Harrison, who's the uh, former associate professor of photography and visual media program coordinator out of Oakwood University in Huntsville, Alabama, who he's now, again, retired. They're all retired. It's probably what I'll be doing in about 10, 15 years. I'll be running out there in my kayak trying to find ivory builds flying around. Uh, he's released a 9.8 second video of what he feels is an ivory build woodpecker. And again, very adamant about what he saw. 9.8 seconds, just less than 10 seconds. That's an eternity when you're talking about an ivory build woodpecker sighting. As big as these birds are, you'd think it'd be easy to find. And that's the argument that a lot of people have uh, about them, even other ornithologists who don't study the ivory build would think it's uh, really easy to see these large birds you know you see um some of these larger birds uh vultures uh call them buzzards here in ohio um uh great uh great blue herons i was trying to remember that one uh great blue herons and you know all these big birds they yeah, they're very skittish as well, but a great blue heron flying away, I can easily pull out my camera, turn it on, point and shoot, and get a good picture of a great blue heron. It's not hard, uh, but these these ivory builds, they're very, very skittish. They don't like people at all, and the areas in which they, they hide in, again, very thick forest, swamplands, lots of trees. You're not going to get a good angle at one of these things. You're not going to be able to fly a drone in there either. I've heard people say that. Well, why don't they just get a bunch of drones? Well, you're not going to really... Well, you could fly the drones above the tree canopy, which would be great to film down. Um, it's not been done yet. And a lot of these people don't have money for this. Uh, so the video itself was filmed in Arkansas on October 17, 2020 in an undisclosed location. 
and was shared at Missions Ivory Build August 1st Zoom meeting. So Arkansas is on the list. Uh, again, I said Louisiana should be probably one of the top locations for it. But Arkansas has been uh, another haven for researchers to go to. There's a couple of patches of of uh, old growth forests that people feel that the ivory bill could still hold out on. And October is pretty much the beginning of the season to, I shouldn't say hunt, but uh, go looking for the ivory bill because you really can't go in there during the spring and summer months when trees are growing and there's a lot of uh, greenery. You want to go in there in the fall of the winter when the trees are bare. And you can see these uh, these uh, birds flying through the air a little bit easier and be able to uh, photograph them and, and get video. So just like April, I was so excited about this. So we ask ourselves, is this the evidence we've been waiting for? Is this going to uh, sway the government and uh, all these organizations that, that look at the evidence to, uh, to say, oh, yeah, okay, well, we're going to pull it out of the extinction pile and not put it into endangered. And that's a big deal if you move uh, back to endangered. Once you pull it off of that list and say, okay, we're going to now name it extinct. If you go backwards, that's where money comes in. That's where uh, preservation is going to happen. That's where some laws are going to be written. That's when you know old growth forests are going to be protected. That's when costs are going to go up in those areas. Uh, logging is going to be prohibited. So th there's a lot at stake to pulling it off that list. And I, I think they're well aware of that. So it's going to take some overwhelming evidence. And unfortunately, that's not what I'm, I'm seeing here. I watched the, uh, it's two hours and 10 minutes long. I would just go in about 25 minutes and uh, you'll, you'll be able to watch the video, but really underwhelmed. Uh, again, I, I love their passion for what they're seeing and their descriptions, but it just doesn't translate. And, and they do, you know, cover that in the video a number of times about uh, compression and uh, the videos. You're just not seeing what they're seeing. Uh, but even then, I just I don't see it. Um, the, the raw video just not available to us. And even then, I, I'm not sure it would be enough to to persuade anybody to say they're out there, they're existing. Um, and I, again, it reminds me of. A lot of the blurry Bigfoot videos, uh, people will come out and say this story convinced, you know, I saw its eyes, uh, I saw its, its hair, I saw the color of this, I saw their fingernails, I, I saw all this, this uh, pure and absolute detail, and here's the picture I took of it, and I don't see anything, I see a tree stump, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, these convincing stories, and yet... The evidence that's given uh, is pretty much completely opposite of the evidence. Uh, in this case of this elusive and highly skittish bird, it's very difficult in the film uh, with the heavy wooded and swampy environment. Um, like I said, it's best done in the wintertime. The trees have less foliage. Uh, we do see the bird fly in and then fly out. And unfortunately, the way it's described and what happened really tells me all I need to know. Uh, so this gentleman... Uh, says how he saw the bird. Bobby Harrison saw the bird. And instead of holding the camera up, and it's, it's described as old, like old camcorder, uh, I don't, like a VHSC type thing. I don't, I don't even know what kind it was, but it wasn't new technology. 
Uh, so instead of holding it up and watching and visualizing, capturing that evidence of the bird, trying to zoom in on it, trying to get some good detail, he just watched it. And he held the camera up to his chest and hoped that he got footage of it. Um, unfortunately, as a scientist, that's not what you want to do. You're, you're going to have to make that sacrifice of a personal experience in order to gather evidence. And that's what it's going to take. Um, you know, I refer to my experience at the uh, Great American Eclipse back in 2017 uh, in the same regard. You know, I was all excited. I, I practiced taking uh, pictures. You know, it's hard to imagine what it's actually going to be light-wise to be able to take a picture of the 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 moon blocked, you know, the blocking out the sun and the corona and the, the lighting is impossible to get ready for. Uh, but you try different things, you test settings out, you get ready for it, and you're all ready to take all these pictures. But man, when it happens, you just don't care. You're just looking around. You're like, wow, this is what an awesome experience. And, you know, I'm telling myself, like, it doesn't matter. I, I don't have to prove to anybody I was there. I just want to see this. I want to absorb it. I only have like three minutes to experience this. This could be the last one I ever experienced because the next one, you know, is going to happen. Uh, actually be in my backyard. I'll be able to see the um 2024 it'll be right where i live but unfortunately it's in april and it's going to be cloudy i guarantee it's going to be cloudy for that so probably the last full eclipse i'll be able to see um here in the united states before uh, you know i get a little too old to travel so i just wanted to absorb that experience but however if i was a scientist and I had to gather information. I had to gather. I had a hypothesis. I had something that I had to do. I would have sacrificed that experience to gather that evidence. And until we have somebody doing something like that with the ivory bill, we're going to continue to have the same stories over and over and over. And talking about the same stories over and over and over, we talk about alligators being discovered in the wild all the time especially here in the northern part of the United States. Uh, alligators are in the news all the time in Florida. Uh, there's been a, there was a death in South Carolina a few months after I was down there this year. Um, but the sad and scary thing is that people are getting these animals as pets. They think they're going to be easy to take care of, and then they're releasing them into the wild. And we've been talking about that, kind of chronicling that uh, the last four or five years here on the show. So these aren't true cryptids in the definition of animals that are just appearing outside of their normal uh, range. These are being dumped by people. Uh, but you don't know what could happen with that. Uh, if they take hold in a warm lake or something like that and continue to develop on their own, it could become true cryptids. Uh, but so far, all these stories, these are alligators set free by their owners, not making their way north. Uh, although in recent years, they've discovered that uh, alligators are naturally made their way into southwestern Tennessee. It's really the furthest inland alligators have uh, ever been able to make. Uh, I talk about stories here all the time, uh, usually about two to five foot long alligators that have been discovered in rivers and lakes, uh, sometimes not surviving being dumped in the wild. We had a story uh, out of Chicago on Halloween 
a couple of years ago where a, a dead alligator was discovered. Uh, we've had a few in, I think there was one in uh, Minnesota where a girl found one. It was uh, deceased in the water. Uh, so it's it's mean, it's crude. Can't take care of it. Don't dump it. Um, now a good story out of the Long Island area. It seems like we're getting a lot of these dumped animal stories out of Long Island in New York State. Uh, a nine-year-old, five-foot-long alligator named Zachary was surrendered to officials at the Suffolk County SPCA, the Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Uh, the couple who owned Zachary brought it, uh, bought it out of state and did not have a permit to keep it. They had initially kept it in an empty fish tank, but have come to realize in the last few months that uh, taking care of it correctly was nearly impossible. Suffolk County SPCA Chief Ray Gross told NBC New York that, quote, alligators do not make good pets, are a danger to the public, and are illegal to own without a permit from the New York Department of Environmental Conservation. Uh, These are very, very dangerous animals. They can inflict serious injuries or even death. I can't imagine anybody sitting on a couch with an alligator curled up on their lap. It doesn't make any sense, unquote. Well, despite this, many people continue to buy these animals with the thought that they are going to be able to uh, domesticate or at least tame them and keep them as a pet. Uh, But it just can't be done. It's been proven over and over again. These are wild animals. They'll reach a certain point where they don't need you anymore. And they kind of don't want you around. And they're going to go hunt. And they're going to kill. That's just that's just what they are. They're eating machines. Well, not machines. Flesh and blood. Uh, the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation and Suffolk County SPCA uh, allow owners of exotic animals to turn them in without fines or charges. And with this effort, hopefully keeping people from releasing these animals into the wild instead of where they could potentially harm or kill someone or suffer and die from adverse conditions. And this is a good program, and I, I know there's a, a lot of other states that do the same thing from reading about these things happening all over the United States. If you call somebody and say, I've got a problem, I need to get rid of this thing, odds are pretty good they're going to help you out. Uh, I would think Uh, the SPCA noted that 22 alligators were found released on Long Island in just one year. Uh, So they're out there. And uh, speaking of out there, I read a story today about uh, alpacas. Alpacas uh, thought to be um, potentially the uh, explanation for Loch Ness Monster sightings. However, no one's reported a Loch Ness Monster sighting in the area, uh, but these alpacas got loose from a local little farm there along Loch Ness, and uh, some of the pictures I've seen are pretty cool. They look like uh, when they're frolicking in the water. Could be the Loch Ness Monster. We've had all kinds of animals over the years be the explanation for the Loch Ness Monster um, the latest uh, being a giant eel, maybe, being the explanation for it since uh, eels outnumber all other animals in Loch Ness. Uh, through the years, we've had um, 
gosh, you go back to the 1930s and I actually thought that the, the Loch Ness Monster was actually seen on land almost as much as in the water. And there were footprints discovered. And one of the footprints discovered was figured out to be a hippopotamus, uh, but not a living hippopotamus, a stuffed foot of a hippopotamus, probably a lamp or something from a hippopotamus. So an alpaca, well, that's the first first I've heard of, uh, but uh, people having fun with that one. Not a real big deal, nothing that um, people are afraid of or have described or have miscommunicated as actual sightings of Nessie. So that's good news. You know, I, I know Loch Ness probably isn't the most famous, or I shouldn't say most popular creature of this show or any other paranormal show. You know, we, we tend to think about the stuff here in the United States, like Bigfoot. And of course, a lot of Bigfoot stories running around. Uh, here in Ohio, there is one uh, of a, a woman who captured audio, supposed audio of a Bigfoot. It's pretty close, about 40, I think 40, 45 minutes away from where I live, uh, near a, a location where I've kayaked uh, Pleasant Hill Reservoir, uh, really beautiful recreational area. Uh, like to watch the Osprey dive in that one. I've been there when there was a fishing tournament. Uh, of course, that uh, reservoir is unlimited as far as uh, boats. So the uh, ski, little ski do things go flying down through there. But she supposedly heard and recorded a, a Bigfoot in the woods. Uh, doesn't sound like it to me. Doesn't sound like it to me. I've heard, I've heard some stuff. I've heard some calls out there, um, but you don't know. You you can't tell. There's, it's not remote enough anywhere here in Ohio that you're not far enough from anybody else. Now, even in that area, it's it's not that remote that if something else is out there, or somebody else is out there screaming in the woods, or uh, howling or whatever. But uh, it sounds to me like probably just fox and i've got fox where i live uh, i've heard fox hiking um and if you're not sure what they sound like you're not sure what they are it could be anything and uh gosh a lot of other sightings of bigfoot looking through all these stories but nothing really it's it's harder now with everybody trying to to get uh, the five dollar or ten dollar check or even the $20 check from some of these uh, news outlets that will pay you for these stories. Now, people are going for the big viral ones, so they tend to make up a little bit more stuff so they can get the bigger check. And uh, so it makes it really difficult to really chase down the truth to some of these stories that we're reading about. So uh, we, uh, yeah, we got plenty of coyote. Uh, actually have one of my, well, my, the... Uh, Local squirrels of all animals uh, destroyed one of my uh, my cam. I had in a tree to take pictures of the deer. We have a um, partially white deer. It's it's not uh, albino. It's um, what do they call that? I forget. But uh, I've seen all sorts of stuff back here. We did have. Uh, 
have a couple of fox, but I did see one coyote come trouncing through here. Pretty big coyote uh, where I used to live, not too far away from where I am now. They were a lot smaller. Um, I had one. I was out uh, running one night, and I had one. I look up, and I didn't didn't realize it was that close, and I stopped. And, man, coyote are just – there's something wrong with those animals. They uh, – piebald just remembered piebald deer. So a deer who is not completely white, but uh, mostly white versus brown. It's called piebald. Uh, but this coyote, they, they need, they have the, the, the need to test any animal out to see if they can take it down or uh, what an animal is. And this, this coyote just kept like staring at me. It would charge me and then move away. I'm like, dude, you're small. Like I'm not afraid of you at all. So I just kept walking. I wasn't going to turn and run. I was just going to keep moving and let him know that you don't scare me. But he kept charging at me, and you could tell like he knew it wasn't going to work out, but he just couldn't stop doing it. It was almost like twitching. It's just such weird animals, uh, but very small coyote. Uh, I could hear them uh, when I used to get up really super early in the morning to be at work at uh, either 4 or 5 in the morning. I could hear them all gathering up. Uh, if I was out walking late at night, I could hear them howling and running around. Uh, coyotes are, you know, when they're one-on-one, -on -one, not a big deal. You get a bunch of them, I get a little nervous. I've only been around uh, a small pack of about three, or there might have been four. I was a little nervous. Uh, but one-on-one, -on -one, they don't bother me. Um, but fox, fox are cute. Fox take care of stuff. They're very curious, too, but they're not going to. Not gonna hurt nothing, but man, can they make some noises that fool people so bad? Um, animals, love animals. Where are we at? I'm lost here. Um, well, no UFO news. That's what I was looking for. There's no UFO news. Well, I do know. Uh, well, we'll talk NASA here. Well, we'll just talk NASA now. Why not? We're already here. Um, we got that big Artemis 1 launch coming up pretty soon. That keeps getting delayed, though. It's kind of annoying me. Uh, I want to be able to watch it. Now it looks like it's going to be August 29th, I believe. It was supposed to be like this week. Well, they're talking about at least 100,000 people gathering down there. They're making a big deal about that. That's really not that big of a deal. 100,000 people is small. Uh, supposedly, the um, websites, if you want a ticket to go down there to watch the launch, it's uh, it crash the sites, different websites to sell tickets, and it's just crazy. People want to go watch this thing launch the moon. There won't be anybody in it. I think there's a, uh, uh, like a doll of a lamb, I think it was, that's going to be in, I don't know. It's, it's unmanned, uh, but it's going to be a big deal. Our first launch to the moon in a, quite a long time. So very exciting news. I uh, don't think I'll be traveling down to Florida to see it. But you don't have to be right there. You can, gosh, you could be almost anywhere in that state. And about two or three stories up, you're going to have, you'll be able to see it. You might need a uh, good set of binoculars or nice uh, digital camera to uh, zoom in and see it or telescope. Bring my telescope down there. It'd be kind of easy to see. Uh, what else we got? NOAA. Well, this was a good one. So the National 
Oceanic and Administ uh, Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, posted an odd photograph of a segment of the floor of the Atlantic Ocean on their Facebook page, because why wouldn't you? Scientific organization asking the general public for help. Where else to go but Facebook? I mean, it's just full of scientists all the time, people with uh, very uh, refined opinions. I mean, that's all I see, you know, very refined opinions. Everyone's pretty much right. Uh, in the post, Noah described several sublinear sets of holes in the sediment that have been previously described but never solved. Uh, these holes are pretty much perfectly evenly spaced, uh, very similar in size, uh, not quite looking like they were machined, uh, but the organization of it is, is kind of peculiar. Uh, their hunch is that uh, due to small piles of sediment near the holes, it seems that they were excavated by something. But what? So, of course, they, uh, they asked for the audience's hypothesis. And uh, a few guesses trickled in. And like I said, you know, just full of people just with brilliant minds on Facebook that uh, just create the, the most brilliant deductions. I mean, I don't even know why we even have scientific organizations or colleges, universities. We could just rely on Facebook and Twitter and just TikTok for entertainment. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's sarcasm. Uh, a lot of people had opinions as to what the holes might have been. And the uh, guesses ranged from escaping gas from the Earth's crust uh, all the way to the other extreme. Yes, aliens. Aliens have nothing better to do but to drill on the ocean floor. I, I guess that would make sense. If you're going to learn about a planet, uh, put holes and stuff, you want to learn about anything. I guess you drill holes in it and uh, you can figure out anything. But NOAA researchers took water samples from the area and are in search of some environmental DNA that might point toward an animal origin for the holes, which is the suspected cause. Uh, I don't know how well that's going to work out. I mean, how do you take water samples at the bottom of the ocean. I could see it. Uh, you know, we talked about the Otago University uh, environmental, dis, uh, the eDNA uh, research done uh, with Loch Ness. They took water samples at varying depths of Loch Ness uh, up and down the, the, uh, the lake and drew conclusions through the DNA. But we're talking to the ocean at heavy depths. So, you know, things die, they fall down so i don't really know it's gonna be a lot of work yeah they know what they're doing i'm sure who am i to uh, second guess their work but uh, i would think there's a lot of dna you're gonna have to sift through but uh, hopefully they collected piles or sample of the piles of the uh, excavated material because that's probably where you're going to get the the best concentration of edna but again i'm not a scientist or not that kind of scientist i suppose um, but we'll see what they come up with. I mean, they might be better off just continuing to ask on Facebook every two months. Um, but uh, I don't think it was aliens. Maybe it was aliens. I don't know. Uh, I wasn't there. But we'll see. 
And they say it's going to take a few weeks to get the answers from the eDNA search. Uh, but it's just one step toward answering what might have caused the hole. So, of course, if they do get a list of animals, potential animals, they're going to have to weed each one out or figure out if this fits with what they do. Uh, but, oh my gosh, you're, you're going to have hundreds, if not thousands of uh, sample or, you know, of eDNA popping up in there. So you're just going to have to look at, but it's going to have to play the percentage game, I guess, whatever's the highest concentration, like uh, Loch Ness, the highest concentration was eels. So that means that the Loch Ness monster is an eel. And hopefully they uh, don't jump to the same conclusion with this eDNA study. Uh, Mike Vecchion a research zoologist with NOAA Fisheries National Systematics Laboratory, told no, told Newsweek about searching for environmental DNA. He said, uh, quote, that's useful because animals shred, uh, shed DNA into their environment and you can sequence it and sometimes you can find out what animals are nearby. But it'll be a few weeks probably before we get an answer back for that. I don't know whether the answer will tell us anything about what's causing the holes or not, unquote. Well, it sounds pretty, uh, very confident there about uh, solving this mystery. Uh, maybe you should put some uh, cameras down there or something. And it's, how do you even know how old that is as well? Uh, Vecchion also discovered a similar site in the Mid-Atlantic Ridge in 2004 uh, during a 6,800-foot dive. Uh, he's leaning toward an animal cause due to similar things that have been seen in fossil records. There are other possibilities, including geologic activity, which I guess would include uh, gases being uh, released, I would suppose. Um, I don't know. I'm sure you could just test for that, too. I'm sure they could measure measure stuff around that i don't think eDNA would would uh, measure that but you, there's other things you could stick in there i would think to measure gas in the uh, the sediment around the holes well, maybe that's the next step probably should have done all this at the same time i think instead of just eliminating one by one which could take years i ain't gotta get that kind of time let's just figure it out guys um, so yeah, geologic activity, um, probably going to go with the animal route, some kind of worm maybe uh, is my guess that's digging these holes. Uh, but, uh, on that list of potential possibilities, which I'm sure is hanging somewhere in one of these research places that, uh, is trying to figure this out. I'm sure on the list way down there toward the bottom is aliens. I don't know if it's got a line through it yet or not. Um, but uh, yeah, way down on the list. Uh, I really don't think that's going to be the explanation. But uh, we'll see. Who knows? Stranger Things have happened. Uh, Stranger Things is on Netflix as well. So uh, another topic we've talked about uh, here on the show off and on through the years is all these, uh, uh, some of it's sad, though. 
we'll talk about Arecibo. Uh, but these telescopes, um, even before the show was was uh, started, way back in 2008, the James Webb Space Telescope has uh, been something that uh, scientists had talked about launching. You know, we dealt with the Hubble telescope that what an embarrassment that thing got launched and we had all kinds of they couldn't focus it uh, they had to go up there and uh with a bottle of windex and clean the mirrors and stuff it was just really really bad really bad and uh, then you got the multi-billion dollar james webb space telescope that's going to be slung out into space uh, a million miles away no chance if anything goes wrong that's it it's just going to be floating out there with uh with a tesla it's just flying around space, and that's it. Um, it's just space debris at that point. But uh, so far, so I think it's worked pretty well, and it's been wowing the world with its release of deep space photographs for uh, eh, pretty much about a month now. Uh, last few days, uh, a photograph of the Cartwheel Galaxy was shared by NASA, which is uh, 500 million light years away. That's pretty far. That's probably a two or three suitcase travel. Uh, no, I'm kidding. 500 million light years. 500 million light years. That's that's. I don't even think if you cryogenically froze somebody, they would. They would last that long. Um, despite the awesome pictures that you've seen, I, I mentioned this before uh, on the show, the super colorful pictures, uh, you, you can't always trust what you see. Uh, now, everybody who does anything with astrophotography uh, will tell you they a lot of the stuff is dragged through uh, a lot of different, not just Photoshop, there's a lot of other editing software and a lot of the stuff is uh kind of like uh, matte paintings it's it's a bunch of different photographs put together um you know it's recolorized it's you know you're talking long-term exposure anywhere from you know a, a few seconds to a few minutes to sometimes even a few hours and you have to put if you own a telescope you have to do you have to have this special motor you put on there to be able to to take you know, photographs of long exposure. You can't always trust what you see with these things. They're, they're often, uh, these, uh, even from NASA, the James Webb Space Telescope, sometimes they're injected with color because we wouldn't really be able to see the detail any other way. So they add these colors to them so we could see the detail. And that's probably not what they look like in space, anybody who's owned a telescope will tell you, you look out into space and everything's just blurry, just, just blurry light. It's, you're, you're really excited when you see blurry light because you're like, wow, that's not normal. It's blurry light. It's not just space. Um, but, yeah, you don't see these fantastic colors and all this stuff dancing. Now, the only way to get that is, again, pretty much long exposure cameras. But then, yeah, editing software. Uh, so don't trust anything you see. It's it's usually doctored in some way. Granted, I think everything is pretty much. I don't think any true photograph is ever truly taken anymore. I, I know when I used to take pictures and put them on social media, I, I never wanted to edit anything. But now you really have no choice. And sometimes your camera will do that for you. 
uh, so you really can't avoid it. Uh, every now and again, too, I've noticed photographs or artist concepts are being passed off by some people as being taken by the uh, new space telescope, James Webb Space Telescope. Uh, earlier this year, artist concept work of Saturn uh, was passed off as being taken by the James Webb Space Telescope. But a lot of people who are in the know, not of just the telescope, uh, I follow uh, every anything that's that's. Uh, I belong to fan websites and the James Webb Space Telescope as well. Um, so I, I see stuff as soon as it comes out, and some of these people trying to pass things off. Oh boy, are they eaten alive! Uh, there are some very brilliant people that uh, know space very well. But this thing was really, really easy. I saw it and I was like, wait, what? People believe that? So the Saturn, picture of Saturn, uh, was artist concept work of the Southern Hemisphere and showed the Southern Aurora. It was like a red ring of Aurora in the cloudy skies was being passed off as being taken by the James Webb Space Telescope, but it didn't take you long to figure out that the uh, image included the sun shining behind Saturn. So from the viewer, you're looking at Saturn and then the sun breaking behind it. Well, that pretty much would be impossible for the James Webb Space Telescope, or even us because of where Saturn sits in the, and the ring here in our solar system, it's not something you're going to see from that, that angle or direction. Uh, but somebody was trying to pass that off. And some people believed it and shared it on their Facebook sites. Embarrassing. But um, it's happening a lot because people are getting excited about this and it's getting a lot of attention. And unfortunately, you know, when you have just a regular old person does it people are quick to point out that this person probably doesn't know what they're talking about but sometimes you'll get a scientist or somebody else who'll do it and it'll fool the world uh, etienne klein who's a physicist and research director at france's alternative energies and atomic energy commission shared a stunning image on twitter on july 31st that was described as proxima centauri as photographed by the James Webb Space Telescope. So Proxima Centauri and basically is the nearest star to the sun, located uh, pretty much down the street, 4.2 light years away. Uh, I'll sign up for that. Probably take 200 years to get there, but um, actually probably a lot longer than that. Probably 2,000 years to get there. We can't travel at the speed of light yet, nor anywhere near it. Plus, I'd be, I'd probably be stretched out. Uh, what are you? Probably about 15 miles long if you travel that fast. Uh, a few days later, he came clean and admitted that the photo was not taken by the James Webb Space Telescope and was not a star, but of some speckled meat known as a chorizo. which is a type of smoked sausage, pretty good stuff. Um, now, this poor guy got lambasted on news stories on social media, but his followers, they knew right away. This wasn't an intention, like trying to hoax people. I've, I've seen the word hoax thrown around. This was not intentional. It was just made as a joke. 
And uh, his followers knew right away. It's pretty obvious. It's funny, though. I thought it was funny. Um, and there's a deeper meaning to it. It's not just about meat. Uh, the original post was retweeted and commented on by thousands of users. Uh, a lot of people took the word of the scientist. To, you know, so when something becomes popular, I get all kinds of junk that pop up into my Twitter feed that I don't ask for. I don't want to know. Uh, but it's just popular stuff. So Twitter's like, hey, you probably want to read this. And I'm like, no, I don't. But thanks. Uh, so when something gets popular, it's it's uh, talked about or, or people are, are looking at it. it. It gets pushed out to everybody. So uh, a lot of people saw this was a scientist and saw this was in French. It's got to mean something. It's in French. And um, they they pass it on. They took the, you know, it's a scientist. He's got to know what he's talking about. It's got to be real. Uh, he later attempted to clarify that uh, this misinterpretation or hoax or whatever you want to call it was meant to teach people to be wary of authority figures as well as these images that seem to speak for themselves. Uh, just because an authority figure posts something they say is true does not necessarily mean that it is. And that happens quite a bit. We, we do get a lot of people who uh, create an opinion. And that opinion, unfortunately, becomes fact because people will talk about it. And it's spread uh, through agents of, of things like social media, sometimes of even uh, scientific reports. And that's why there's a, a process in science where you know, somebody just doesn't come up with something and it becomes a fact. Somebody does work, they present it to other people and other people disseminate that information and try to either validate or invalidate it. And so it's a process, it's kind of like an argument. I don't believe you. I'm going to look for it, look at it myself. And of course, through that process, we find the truth. And when people hide behind their their um, belief systems or their opinions. That's when it's dangerous. And a lot of times this is what happens. Scientific, you know, when we have things that are passed around. Scientists will say, well, you know, this is what you do. You have to drink all this water to be healthy. And then it becomes a fact because, hey, it's a scientist that said that. And that's why you have all these companies, too, that use doctors or the word of authorities to sell their products because people will believe that. Well, if, if a, you know, nine out of 10 doctors suggest that I should do this, well, I probably should do it. Cause I'm sure that last guy is a complete nut job who has no idea what he's talking about. So it's nine out of 10 too. It's like, what happened to that last guy? He's just having a bad day. I don't know. Uh, so that's, this is the whole concept of, it's called argument from authority or, Appeal to authority, which is a type of cognitive bias. It's a, kind of a, a logical fallacy, if you will. And unfortunately, science is not immune to it. It does happen in science. Usually they're pointing at those of us here in the paranormal. That we have these, uh, you know, so-called experts of the paranormal. Uh, so-called uh, leaders of different fields, uh, either ghosts or cryptids or, you know, there's usually people on TV. Those are the authority figures. They don't care about the people who have been out in the field 
doing research, working with actual scientists. They don't care about that. That's those those are not authority figures. Authority figures are people who are popular, who are on television. Not really, but that's just what the general population seems to think. Uh, Carl Sagan once said, "Quote: One of the greatest commandments of science is mistrust arguments from authority." Too many such arguments have proved too painfully wrong. Authorities must prove their contentions like everybody else. Unquote. Uh, I think the biggest lesson of all with this story is uh, not to combine astronomy with gastronomy. I can attest uh, greasy fingers are not recommended for swapping out lenses. Not a good idea when you're playing with your telescope and you're eating sausage, which I've never done that, but uh, I'm going to try that now. Um, yeah, weird stuff this week, but uh, I don't I don't write the news. I just report on it. That's my job. And we'll see what's in store coming up. Uh, probably, well, I can tell you definitely not going to be here next week. We have... Uh, where I work, we're doing, yeah, I have to, I actually have to work. I don't get paid for this, the paranormal stuff. Wish I could. It'd be great. I'd be very, very happy. Um, got a big inventory for our store, so I'll probably be working at least 20 some odd hours that day. Probably not going to make it here for a show. Um, not sure about two weeks or now, but I'll let you know. We'll get you the information. I don't want to go too long because I'm telling you, something big is right around the corner. It's going to be something big. And I'm really excited about this moon launch. People are really going to be talking about this, and it's going to be the gateway. As soon as we launch astronauts to the moon again, which probably won't be till next year, I'm telling you, it's it's going to be all hands on deck. Let's go to the let's go to Mars. And that'll happen within another five years. We'll be excited about that. Who knows? Might meet some aliens on the way, but we'll see. See you in a couple of weeks. Keep you posted. But for now, get your scopes out. Keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting. Thank you.